But so uh, we now turn to the Gospel of Luke, the ninth chapter, verses 51 through 62. Hear now the Word of God. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then he went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Friends, I think, in fact, I I feel strongly that I know my first and most important job over these next few weeks is, is to get to know you. And since my first task is to get to know you, I want to offer a sort of open invitation. Since my first act is to get to know you, to get to know Central, I want, I, please, I encourage you to have open lines of communication. Call me, email me, text me, send me a telegraph, however you communicate. Uh, please, the lines of communication are open. I want to, to hear from you and get to know you. And I'll even say that if you're by the church and... I I won't say that I won't be already doing something, but if I'm available and you're around, I'd love to just sit down and and visit with you and and do that in formal ways that I know will be coming, but informal ways as well. And I look forward to that that task of of getting to know you. And also in these first few weeks, I feel led to to, to share with you maybe a little bit of, of how I got to be here and what my paradigm for ministry is. You know, there was a season, in my, you, if you read the, the front of the bulletin, you might know this, but I'm a pastor's kid. And there was a point in my life when I decided, you know what, I think I've been to church enough. Maybe I can just take a little break. And my break turned out to be longer than, than it should have been. I shouldn't have taken a break at all, but I did. And then there came a time in life where I felt God calling me back into the life of His church. And a local church much like Central, uh, loved Ellen and me, this newlywed couple. They loved me. They, they loved her too. But they loved me into a relationship with God in a new way. And in the context of that local congregation, I experienced God's grace in, in a new way and in a powerful way. And as I began to deal with my call to ministry, I said, you know, I've had this profound experience of God's grace and. I know that's what God wants for everybody. And I want to help other people know God's grace in the same way that I have. And, and so that's sort of my paradigm for ministry is to help other people know the loving presence and grace of God in the same way that I have. And as we start that task together this morning, I'd like us to think about this reading we heard from Luke's Gospel. 
Because Jesus is talking about what it means to serve Him. He's talking about what it means to share that good news of God's grace for everyone. And it starts with this idea we see grounded in this text. Jesus is telling the disciples 2,000 years ago, and He's through the pages of Scripture telling us here and now that we have a purpose, that we have a mission. When I think about that idea of purpose and mission, I think of two dogs I knew along life's path, both um, in my wife's family. The first was a yellow lab that belonged to um, her parents, Sadie, the Labrador Retriever. Think about the second name in the word Labrador Retriever. It's Retriever. Keep that in mind as I tell you about Sadie. They actually had two labs. The other lab was a stereotypical lab that went everywhere with a tennis ball in her mouth. Well, if you took that same tennis ball and you threw it for Sadie, it would go something like this. She'd look at you with the ball, you threw it, and then she'd look at you again. Why'd you do that? <laughs> you know you're going to have to go over there and get that now. And so you'd try it again, and you'd throw the ball for Sadie again. She'd watch it go. You know you just threw that ball again, didn't you? Now you're going to have to go, you know. She had no retrieving instinct whatsoever. The Labrador Retriever who would not retrieve. She was made, now she was not a hunting dog, she was just a pure pet, so I guess the retrieving instinct wasn't as important, and she excelled as a pet. But she wasn't a retriever. She was a retriever who didn't retrieve. She was made, bred to do something that she just couldn't do, or wouldn't do. You never quite learn. But then there's another dog that belonged to Ellen's grandparents named Tuff. Now Tuff was a German shepherd. And think about the second name of his breed is Shepherd. He was a shepherding dog, a herding dog. And now he lived, now my, my, in, my grandparents-in-law lived in the country. They lived on some land that adjoined the Sumter National Forest outside of Abbeville. And so there was a clear delineation, though, when you went from yard to woods. And as Ellen and her brother and cousins would play outside at their grandparents' house, there were times that Tuff decided it was his job, his purpose, to keep those children from wandering, and wandering into the woods. And in the absence of anything else to herd, he would just kind of circle them up and nip at their heels and herd them back up to the house. And they were not as understanding about the process as sheep would be. He had mixed results as a result. But so we have two dogs. One designed, bred, born with the purpose of retrieving who wouldn't retrieve. One born with the instinct to herd and, and, and would herd when not given the opportunity to herd what he was designed to herd. He'd herd what he had. Born with purpose. Trying to engage that purpose with mixed results, both dogs. We as church as well as we as individuals within it, have been created with purpose. We've been created with a mission. That mission that God gave us is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And if we don't do that, we're not living in to the purpose, to the mission for which God made us. Serving Jesus, being His disciple is the most important thing. Calling people to discipleship is the most important thing. Our book of discipline, which is the, the covenant that we as United Methodists live together in, as well as the book that God gave us in Matthew 28, we see defined the church's mission as making disciples of Jesus Christ. 
As United Methodists, we add the phrase for the transformation of the world. Making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. At at Central, we interpret that mission in a way that's uh, for our context and for our congregation to follow Jesus, love God, and love neighbor. And if we take our mission seriously, if we live it, if we make that mission real in our lives, our church will be a place of disciple-making. I know Central to be a church that has done that, that is doing that, and I look forward to joining you in continuing to do that. If we live into that mission of to follow Jesus, love God, and love neighbor, God will get the glory and we will get the increase. My job, I see it over the, as a pastor, particularly over the next few weeks, is to get to know you, to learn your gifts and graces for ministry, and then together we'll do some great things to follow Jesus, to love God, and to love neighbor. And if we do our part, it will happen. If we are faithful in our following of God, God will be faithful to us, and we can join God in changing the world one person at a time. Follow Jesus, love God, love neighbor. That statement is tailored for our own local needs and our understanding of what our disciple-making task is. But whatever we do should support that mission. And I want to help equip us for that mission. I feel like that's my job as pastor is to lead us in living into that mission. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this lesson this morning. He's telling us it's more important to live into that mission, to live into our calling, our purpose, than for us as anything else. In the morning, in the scripture I just read, we see Jesus, he's entered a Samaritan village. They reject his teaching. They don't want to hear this offer of grace. And so he goes to another place. There he finds people who are more receptive. And they want to follow Jesus. And Jesus underscores for them that that mission is more important than anything else. When one man comes and says he wants to follow Jesus, but he wants to go bury his father first, Jesus says, no, just come with me. When another person says, I want to follow you, but I need to go say goodbye to everybody at home first, Jesus says, no, just follow me. Now, these are extreme examples. I, I, don't, I truly don't believe Jesus would urge us to neglect our other responsibilities. But I think what he's getting at with these extreme examples is the idea that the mission of following Jesus, of loving God, of loving neighbor, is more important than anything else we can be about, and we need to be focused on it. That it is the most important thing we have to focus on. And he uses the analogy of someone plowing and how to to, to plow a straight line. You have to be focused. Now, regardless of the way my accent sounds to you, I really don't know much about plowing. I've never plowed anything in my life uh, other than a little garden spot with a tiller. But there is something I know a lot about, and that's cutting grass. I had uh, one of those, my parents, I, I joke with them that, They were the parents who would not let me have a BB gun until well after I felt like I was old enough. But they would put me outside to cut grass as soon as I could hold on to the handle of the lawnmower. And the one thing I learned is 
our yard and our neighbor's yard often looked different. We had a neighbor at one of the houses we lived in growing up across the street. And when he got done mowing his grass, it looked like the outfield of a baseball field. He had lines going this way and he had lines going that way. And, and every line was straight and symmetrical and perfect. There was not a weed to be seen in his yard. It was always the perfect shade of green. And then you looked at our yard where I did a, a good job of cutting the weeds down level with the top of the grass. And, and uh, I would get distracted. And one thing I learned with those straight lines in his yard and the not straight lines in our yard, that you could see the lines, but they looked like this, is if I didn't focus, if I looked, if I was pushing the lawnmower, and I looked over my shoulder, the lawnmower went that way. If I paid attention to something over here, the lawnmower went that way, and my yard looked all funny. When we lose focus, when we're not focused on where we're going and what we're doing along the way, it's when we start doing things that aren't, that, that we're focusing on things that don't matter. My mission that day was to cut grass, and I wasn't doing a great job of it. I said that day. There were many days that I didn't do a good job of it. When we lose our focus on our mission, we start going the wrong way. When I was a rising sophomore, going back to, I was, it was the end of summer, and I was going back to, to Spartanburg, where I was a rising sophomore at Walford College, and school, public schools where we lived had already starting back, started back. So my mother was a teacher and, and she was already at school. And my brother, who's younger than me, he was already back in school. So the day that it came for me to get in the car and drive back to Spartanburg, it was just my father and, and, and I at home. And so it, I'm getting in the car, it's all loaded up to the brim, and I'm getting ready to drive from, from Georgia back to Spartanburg. And my dad is standing on the front porch and now, I may have built this up a little bit in my mind through the years, but in my mind, he's looking at me with, with admiration, with fatherly parental fulfillment. Here's my boy going back to start his second year of college. Huh? His mother and I have done such a great job. Just, just look at him. He's, here he goes. And just about the time, so our driveway, you would, you know, I backed out of the driveway and just as I was put, I put the car in, in drive, and just as I was starting to pull forward to go back down our street, I noticed uh, out of the corner of my eye, I saw a Coke bottle rolling around on the floorboard on the passenger side. And I said, well, that's going to roll away. That can't, you know, that's going to get on my nerves rolling around on the floorboard down there. So as I was just inching forward, I leaned over to get that Coke bottle. My head by this point is below the dashboard. And then I just felt my car kind of go up. Something scraped the front. I was going maybe three miles an hour. But it didn't stop me from running right over the newspaper box. It was on the curb, to be clear. It was not out in the middle of the street. It was on the curb. I jumped the curb. I ran over the newspaper box. And, and of course, I, you know, I hit the brakes and I sat up real fast and I put the car back in park and I looked up at my father who was standing in the same place and his expression had been transformed. And, and <laughs> he wasn't angry it was just, he's just, it's like he's looking at my, what, what are you, why, what, what have you done here, what is, when I wasn't focused on where my car was heading, I went for disaster. Now we got the, just, just, I know you're worried about it, we got the newspaper box back up straight and we found just the right shade of duct tape to cover up the scratch in my bumper. And off to Spartanburg I went. But when we don't focus on our direction, we don't focus on where we're going, that's when we can get ourselves 
in trouble. I imagine sometimes we're not serious about our mission, the purpose God has given us, that there are times when our Father in Heaven is sort of like my Father on the front porch, not, not angry, just, what are you doing? Why are y'all doing this? So I guess what I'm saying to you, Central Church, is, is let's do this. We, the church, are God's plan for reaching the world. Central is part of God's plan for this life-changing mission, this world-changing mission that He's given us. And I'm excited. I'm excited to join you in following Jesus, in loving God, and in loving neighbor. Will you pray with me? God of fresh beginnings, You make all things new in the wisdom of Jesus Christ. Make us agents of your transforming power and heralds of your reign of justice and peace. Set us to our mission of following Jesus, loving God and loving neighbor, that all may share in the life-changing, world-changing grace Christ offers. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.